these words. And he said, I'm the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and of the house of bondage. We've known them, maybe some of us since a child called the Ten Commandments. We've known them as the Ten Commandments, but God called them the Ten Words. Not just individual words, right? But they were, like the prophet said, they were words from the Lord. They're individually a word of the Lord to us. Jesus referred to them in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That that is the greatest commandment. The seconds like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made this statement and said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so we're looking back at those ten words. Everybody say ten words. Ten words. And we're journeying through them to see how these ten are fulfilled in the New Testament too. Four words from the Lord telling us how God wants to be loved. Remember his words concerning worship and idolatry. We talked about the word that he gave us concerning his name and the word concerning his rest. Six other words showing us how we demonstrate God's love for other people, that second commandment. And we talked about his word concerning our word and what comes out of our mouth. His word last week concerning our anger. And next week we'll end with his word concerning what does not belong to us. But this week, I have another word of the Lord for you today. Now, I'm going to just be honest. I, I struggle with this. Uh, not because of the material. But I always struggle with this because you wonder how many people does this apply to. But I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I know, I know I am on divine, I'm in a divine, I have a divine appointment to speak what I'm going to speak here today. And uh, God's confirmed it not only with words in this service, but words outside of this service. And uh, today, I believe there is healing in this house. I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. <laughs> I know you're here, and I know you're listening. And uh, God wants to speak to you and tell you his word concerning your marriage. His word concerning your marriage. Be careful. Be careful. All of you that are single, do not check out. Because the Lord has a word for you. Amen. If you're married and been married and y'all ain't got any, any plans to separate, still, please do not check out. Because having a marriage and having a godly marriage is two separate things. There are plenty of people that are sticking together, but they've never been stuck together. And so I want to preach to you about what, it mean, what marriage means to God. And it's good timing, right? Maybe for some of you. Valentine's Day is coming. I'm sure there are at least some plans in this house involve chocolate, restaurants, cards, gifts. Those things are all nice, but they're not marriage either, are they? No. Sometimes I think Valentine's Day is 24-hour period in which we try to make up for the other 364 days of failure. And God wants to help you with the 364 so that 365 can be awesome. Amen. I want to talk to you about the word concerning your marriage. Lay your Bibles down. Lift your hands to heaven. 
Man, I know it's, 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 it's going to feel different, but I'm telling you, it's still going to feel God. Lift your hands to heaven right now in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Today, we follow after your spirit. God, we, we follow the leading of the Holy Ghost and God in the preaching of the word of the Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would open up our hearts. God, whatever you want to say to me about my husband, whatever you want to say to me about my wife, however that applies to you, God, we, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, every husband and every wife, Lord. Let the word of God be opened up to them so they can see exactly what you are speaking to them about their marriage. God, future or existing, we thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? And let's praise him together. Hadn't it been good in this service so far? The Lord bless you. You can be seated. There is so much. So much in the New Testament about marriage, about the relationship between husband and wife. I, I just I got, got to studying them, and to be honest with you, it wasn't stuff that I hadn't read before, but I just began to consider as I was studying the volume and the magnitude, especially in, in the apostles' instructions to the church, how much they dealt with the relationship of marriage. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I do have a theory. And that theory is because marriage in the Old Testament was not so good. Marriage was almost the opposite in a lot of ways of what New Testament marriage was. I mean, you had multiple marriages. You had multiple reasons for divorce and divorce. You had, you had men that were married, but married multiple times and then had concubines on top of the multiple marriages that they had. In what world does that work? I don't know, but you look through. Just look through. Don't take my word for it. Study it out. Marriage in the Old Testament, there's some bright spots. But for the most part, there's a lot of dysfunction, and there's a lot of mess, and there's a lot of chaos. No wonder Jesus and his disciples later for the church would have to spend time instructing about God's true intentions for a husband and wife from the very beginning. Divorce in Jesus's day was actually raging. Uh, history tells us, and a little study would tell you that, at least in Jewish history, and uh, it would tell us that, that divorce was a huge issue of debate, that marriage in Jesus's time was extremely fragile. It didn't take much for divorce to pop up and marriages to fail. For instance, a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled supper. No jokes here, but I'm just saying. Literally, he could divorce his wife if there was too much salt in the steak. Uh, he, he could divorce his wife if she in any way spoke disrespectfully about his parents. Who am I preaching to? No joke. He, he could divorce his wife. This may, listen, don't, don't wave your hand. Nobody amen here. He, he, could, uh, he could divorce his wife if her voice level raised too loud enough, at least for the neighbors to hear an argument in the room that they were in outside. Now, you don't have to confess today, but I'm just telling you, when I read through this list, Marriage was fragile. 
You could, you could go and for any of these reasons, and these are just some examples, for many more that are equally as ridiculous. For many more, you could go and say, I'm tired of this model. I'm gonna go shopping, find me a new model and see if I can be happy with that. Now we can look back and, and we can talk about how good it was in Jesus's day. But from what I read about marriage, it was just as bad then as it is today. Because that kind of sounds like what a lot of people look, the way that a lot of people look at marriage today. Marriage is still very fragile. It's, very, it's almost like a, a fine china. You gotta treat it with kids' hands and, and kids' gloves and, 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 and velvet gloves to make sure that things don't crack and things don't fall apart. That's why Jesus had to teach on it, and he did. Jesus raised the bar for marriage. You see, Adultery is much easier than you think. We think that maybe, you know, that's, man, that's the end. That's the worst. That's the, that's the end of the track. But Jesus taught that adultery happens way before actions. In Matthew 5 and 27, he reached back to that Old Testament and he said, you have heard that it's been said of them of old time, that thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, that whosoever looks on a woman, and I would argue in the 21st century on a man, to lust after her or him has committed adultery with her or him already in his heart. He went on to say, who, it was been said that whoever shall put away his wife, let him or her just write a bill of endorsement or divorcement. Let them just kind of get the paperwork in order and hand it to them, and they will be free and clear of any charge of adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife or his spouse, 21st century, saying for the Savior except for the cause of fornication, King James Version, my version, sexual immorality, unless there's been infidelity, unless there's been sexual immorality, Jesus said, you cause them to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced or him that is divorced committed adultery. Now that's a whole lot stronger, isn't it? And don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the Bible. But Jesus said the, the, the bar for marriage is much higher than just the action. Let me just put it this way. Jesus raised the bar to appetite, not just actions. Jesus said, if it gets in your head or if it gets in your heart for 30 seconds, 30 days, or 30 years, you've done what your body, even if your body's not followed through with the actions, you've already done it in your heart. Why would Jesus speak so strongly about this? Why would Jesus raise the bar so high from where his own law in the beginning was set? I'll tell you why. Because adultery does more damage than you think. Because infidelity and broken marriages do more damage than you think. Because failed relationships between husbands and wives don't just affect husbands and wives. Because they affect everything that is around them. 
It's what the wisdom writer, ironically, the wisdom writer, who had some of these same problems, learned, I believe, by experience, that when the one that commits adultery with another person lacks understanding. Why? Why, Solomon? Why does he lack understanding? How do you know that? He said, because he doesn't realize that in doing so, he's destroying his own soul. Wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Nothing, listen to pastor today. I realize nobody's probably going to, George, you're probably going to run the aisles on this one. It's okay. But let me just tell you, I got to preach to somebody today anyway and tell you, there is nothing that damages us more than sexual sin. There are other sins that don't do as much damage. Pride, stealing, lying. Those are all things that are hurt the heart of God. Don't get me wrong. But sexual sin has this way of leaving permanent scars, it seems. The shame doesn't go away as easily with sexual sin. The sense of loss to everyone around is enormous when marriages don't stick together. When somebody decides to walk out, please hear me today, the, the impact is is enormous. It's not just on them. It's not just on who they walked out on or who they quit on. It's the kids. It's the family. It's the city. It's the country. It's the nation. Everything is impacted. I'm going to preach you and tell you these are absolutes. You can, you can take me to task if you want to, but adultery is a sin against God. It's a sin against God because he said not to do it. It's a sin against your spouse because you promised you wouldn't do it. It's a sin against your body because your body was not made for anything except sexuality inside of marriage. It's a sin against your family because your kids get destroyed and your family gets destroyed. Your mama's heart gets broken. Your pastor cries and weeps over you and all of your friends lament the fact that that destruction came to you and your family. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, oh, pastor, pastor, I know somebody may need this, but I don't. Be careful. Be careful because those that say, I, I've got a long list. I'm just telling you from personal experience. I've dealt with a long list of people from parishioners to pastors that said that could never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. I, I, I could never walk down that row. It's the lie of complacency because here's what the word of God will tell you. Every single marriage, listen to me, every single marriage under the sound of my voice is going to be tested. Every single marriage is going to be tempted. There's an enemy of your soul that wants your marriage destroyed, that wants that union dissolved, that wants somebody to throw in the towel and say it's time to quit. This is why. This is why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, defraud ye not one another, except it be for a consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. But very quickly, very quickly, when you get done fasting and praying, come back together. Why? That Satan tempt you not for your inconsistency. In other words, he said, there is an adversary out there that is looking to destroy your marriage so you can never hold back. You can never keep back. You can never stop investing. You can never stop working. You can never stop maintaining because Satan is after your marriage. I'm preaching to somebody right now. He's after your marriage. He's after your union. He hates marriage. God set it up and he's doing everything he can to bust it up, to redefine it and cause it to where nobody even knows what it means anymore. Listen, adultery can destroy marriage, but I've got some good news. 
I've got good news that said there are boundaries of marriage that can destroy adultery. There are things that you do in the word of God that absolutely negate the power of quitting and adultery to come into your marriage. Somebody say boundaries. When you set boundaries in that relationship, they're like guardrails. They keep you from crashing out and they keep anything else from coming in. And we're living in a day where people are crashing out against every boundary and everything in this world is trying to invade and come in. But I'm here to tell you there's a God that sent a preacher your way to tell you there's some boundaries you can set up and even though the devil wants to destroy it, you've got a God that's inside of you that's greater than anything in this world. I've come to tell somebody whose marriages is on the rocks. God's about to take it off the rocks and put it on the solid rock of his foundation. Somebody say boundaries. You got to set boundaries. Amen. You set boundaries in your marriage. Listen now. This is where I told you. This is for everybody. By choosing wisely. Now for all of you that have made your choice. It's too late. (laughs) Don't look at him or her right now, but I'm just telling you. The die has been cast. And so now I'm going to talk to you in a minute. You got to work. But let me talk to those that maybe have not made that choice yet. Want to make that choice. Maybe some don't want to, but you will make that choice. Listen to me. Listen to pastor today. The best way to guard your marriage is to start before you're married. You start guarding your marriage when you decide to date. That's when you start working on your marriage. I don't even know if he's the one. You start working on your marriage when you decide to date. One of the most powerful stories I ever heard was the story of a young man that uh, told about, about the painful conversation that he had with his mother one day. He was sitting with his mother, and he was going through a time in his life, you know, those terrible teens, and it lasted way too long. He was way too old to be in the terrible teens that he was in. And he began to share with his mother, well, here's what I want in a mate, man. I want her to love God, and, and I want her to have a good education, and I want her to have a good job, and I want her to be responsible. I, I want a woman has got her head on straight and not just going all over the place and immature. I, I want her to be loving. I want my wife to be kind. I want my wife to care for her. And in the middle of this list, his mother interrupts him and says, son, I hate to tell you this, but that woman is not looking for you. Now that's a mama. I didn't say that to be funny because he said, the way he tells the story, he said, that, that changed my life. And here's what he understood. He said, here's what she was saying. You need to be who you're looking for. You you want a good godly woman, men? Then you need to be a good godly man. You want a good godly girl, a man? Well, ladies, you need to be a good godly woman. You want honesty? You want integrity? You want heads on straight? You want maturity? Then you be what you're looking for. And let me tell you this also. You need to make sure that you are looking for God's expectations for you and not your expectations. Because what you expect in a wife may not be anything close 
or what you expect in a husband may not be anything close to what God has already had planned for you. Because I'm one of those crazy people that believe that God's got somebody for you. He's out there. She's out there. It's a matter of you getting together. And if you'll trust God, he'll bring it all together. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little personal story. I am not what my wife was looking for. If you would have asked 16-year-old, she's not in here today, so I feel liberty. You're not, you, she's in the nursery. If you would have asked 16-year-old Krista White, what do you want in a man? I guarantee you, I was not dressing, I found out later in life, I was not dressing the way that she was looking for the guy to be dressed. I, I guarantee, listen, I'm not, she would, I want somebody redheaded and cross-eyed. If I could get somebody like that. I know I wasn't what she was looking for. But God, in his riches and mercy, can I preach for him? <laughs> I'm just telling you, let me just talk to somebody. You've got to choose wisely. And part of choosing wisely is accepting what God's expectations are for you. You don't know what's in your future. You don't know what God's got planned. I don't mean to be, listen, if I'm arrogant, God strike me down. But listen, there are some of you that are here because Krista Lee and Bradley Craig decided this is what God wants. You've got a pastor today because two people followed the will of God. You don't know what God's got for your future. Stop telling God what he's going to bring to you. Stop telling God who he's going to bring to you and just say, Lord, be it unto me. I know exactly what I need. It's exactly what you say. And I'll be what I'm looking for. Amen. Somebody say amen. You gotta set boundaries by choosing wisely. Second of all, you gotta set boundaries for marriage by having some common sense. Man, we've lost it. We have lost it. Common sense. It's ironic, isn't it, if you look at it in scripture? Smack dab in the middle of defining adultery and the consequences thereof. Jesus puts these, we don't, a lot of times people don't marry these scriptures together, but these two scriptures right in between the two that I read where Jesus is talking about adultery. We, th this was part of the discourse. This is part of the conversation. Jesus said, if you're right, I offend thee. Pluck it out. Cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. This is eternal. Jesus said, it's better for you to take the eye out of your head. And then he said, if, you're right, uh, if your right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it's probable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body be cast into hell. Now, listen, don't be silly. Jesus wasn't speaking literally. He wasn't looking for somebody to say, okay, if you messed up, go grab you, you know, an ax or whatever and pluck that eye in hand. No, it was an illustration. If there's a bunch of people that come in to service next week and we can't shake hands, you have missed the point. Because Jesus was not saying this literally. Here's what he was saying. Build boundaries. He was saying, put things in place. He was saying, eliminate as many opportunities as you can for anything to capture your attention and actions that would destroy your 
marriage. Eliminate as many opportunities as you can for your eyes to destroy your marriage, for your body to destroy your marriage. Eliminate as many opportunities as you can and talk and make some boundaries around where you're going to allow your body to go and what you're going to allow it to do. Listen, I've got boundaries. I will not be alone with a woman who's not a close family member. When I worked a secular job 22 years, I had a reason. I was, I was, I was, I made, I was made fun of for it. I wouldn't sit in a room, even a conference room, without the door open with somebody else I was working with on a project. We'd have, we'd have company outings, and they'd say, hey, you want to ride with me? I said, well, let's get, let's get Bob, or let's get Susie to ride with us. So it's not just me and together. And for a while, people even made fun of me. I know what they were thinking. They're like, look, dude, I don't want nothing to do with you. But it had nothing to do with that. What it had to do with, there were boundaries. And I don't, listen, this body, this humanity cannot be trusted. Paul said, I know in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I'm not going to give my body, my mind the option. That's why it matters what you watch on TV and screens. You can't watch a bunch of infidelity and adultery. Listen, what you see affects you. Didn't we talk about that on Wednesday night? So you have to decide, there are places I'm not going to go. There are things I'm not going to watch. There's things I'm not going to listen to. There's concerts I can't attend. There's books I cannot read. There are people in certain circumstances I cannot be with. Because sometimes the only thing they're there to do is feed temptation. And I'm in the business of starving temptation so I can feed my marriage. I wish I could get, if I could get that right there, you need to starve temptation. Starve it out of your life. Starve it. It's, a, it's so weak it can't do anything. It's so weak it can't raise its head. Set boundaries of common sense. And most importantly, set boundaries for marriage by having a covenant commitment. Everybody say covenant. Marriage is honorable in all things. That's what Paul said. Honorable. It's esteemed worthy, he said. It's precious. It's of great price and especially dear in the context of everything. Mark 10 and 6, Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, because of this creation, a man should leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And two, everybody say two, shall become one. Say one. Two. Not two people anymore, but one flesh. That's the problem with marriage today. That marriage is defined by the world is still two people trying to get along with each other. But spiritually in a covenant, marriage is two people becoming one in Christ. When you put God in the middle of it, he takes Brad and he takes Krista and he makes the knaves and he glues it all together by the power of his spirit. Here's what I can tell you. I say it at every wedding. I don't mean to be a broken record, but if you'll put Jesus in the middle of your marriage, it cannot fail. I'm not telling you it won't be some hard times. I'm not telling you it's not going to be some work sometimes, but it won't fail because what God joins together, nothing can take apart. And nobody that tries better even be guilty of it. Somebody say boundaries. He said, the beginning of creation, male and female. Two becomes one. What God has joined together, let not man tear apart. Three things Paul tells us. He tells us that first of all, that marriage is God's plan. It's not a human plan. 
It's not a human idea. Therefore, it is not a tradition that we can just throw out and say, this is some sign of the past time. The second thing he tells us is marriage is between a man and a woman. There's a lot of relationships that are not marriage, that the world is calling marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And I don't mean to be graphic, we got kids here, but even nature will teach you their body parts fit together in such a way that men and people are created, the creation of everybody else. Everybody say man and woman. Marriage between a man and woman. The third thing that he said is marriage is, and this is the most important, marriage is permanent. It's for the rest of your life. Let me say that again. Your marriage is for the rest of your life. It says what God joins together. When God joins a couple in marriage, no one in that marriage and no one outside of that marriage should separate it. It's meant to be permanent. It's meant to be for life. Now this flies in the face of modern culture because modern culture says marriage is a contract. But God says marriage is a covenant. A contract says if you do what you promise, I'll do what I promise. A covenant says I'll do my part no matter what because my promise is unto God. So if my wife ain't doing her part, it's no excuse for me to hold back and not do my part. If my husband is not doing what he should be doing, it's no excuse for me not to be doing what I should be doing. Why? Because I made a covenant before God. I don't know where you got married, but a lot of you got married about right here. And when you stood there, you didn't stand there by yourself. You didn't stand there with just him or her. You didn't stand there with your church or your family. The Holy Ghost was here. God was here. And when you promised, you promised in covenant before God. Why are you preaching this, preacher? Because there's going to be some days where you want a contract, but you're held by a covenant. There's going to be some times in your marriage where it's so rocky, you want to dive out, but there's a covenant of the Holy Ghost that's holding on to you. Why are you getting so amped up? Because I'm tired of the devil telling everybody they've got a contract. It's deeper than that, honey. God, God put this thing together for you. One has the strength of humanity. A covenant has the strength of God and his promises. Isn't it ironic? And Tell me if I'm lying. Adultery never starts with love. Well, people say it, I, I just fell in love with somebody, a liar. No, no. Adultery starts with selfishness. Adultery starts with putting my needs and my desires ahead of my spouse and my family. Now, understand today, I get it. I have been married, and I'm not joking or anything. This is... As real as I can be. Marriage is hard. And part of the reason why it's hard is because it's every day. <laughs> can I get an amen? Come on, come on, somebody help me. Don't leave me up here by myself. She's not here, but she will listen to it later. <laughs> it's every day. Every day. And it is difficult. We start with this idea, idealistically, foolishly, in love, and we say to some degree or another, oh, marriage will solve all my problems. <laughs> I know, I, I remember I felt that way. So many things that'll be better when I get married. But we eventually drift to the idea that more so than solving problems, marriage 
tends to create problems. That's what we think. I didn't have problems till I got married. Don't say amen to that. But the truth of the matter is, marriage does not solve your problems, and marriage did not create your problems. Marriage reveals your problems. I'm going to say that again. Marriage did not solve your problems, and marriage did not create your problems. Marriage tends to reveal your problems. Jesus said, think about the craziness of this. Two will become one. That is hard work. But God has made us to do this. Do you hear me? God has created us to do this. First Corinthians, Paul would teach, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. But remember, another translation said, but remember, God's plan is that men and women need each other. I teach young folks that want to come and get married. I'm going to say, you are going to go on a journey of learning how to fulfill the gaps that are in your spouse's life. And no matter how hard a marriage is, listen to pastor, the cost of working on your marriage is always going to be less than repairing or rebuilding it after it has been damaged. You need to let everything be revealed and you need to deal with everything that gets revealed. Mostly what it reveals is the true expectations that we have of one another because we do have expectations. You can say amen right there. It's okay. I have expectations. You have, as a man, as a woman, my wife has expectations. And, and, and Paul would deal with this. He would say in Ephesians 5 and 33, he said, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, talking to the men, so love his wife, even as himself, and see that the wife reverence her husband. In another place, Paul said, Men, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And in other words, Paul said, men, cherish your wives. And then women, reverence your husband. The, another version said this, and I, I got studying this. For years, I have thought and maybe even taught that women are complicated. And men are just straightforward and simple. But I got reading this scripture. Listen to this. This is a different trend. This is the Amplified. It flushes all those words out and defines them for us. Listen to this. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as his very own self. And see that the wife, listen, that she respects, that she reverences her husband, that she notices him, that she regards him, that she honors him, that she prefers him, that she esteems him, that she defers to him, that she praises him and loves him and admires him exceedingly. God said, men love your wives. Wives, you got a list for you. You tell me who's more complicated. All I'm saying is this, we all have expectations. And as men and women, they are lined out in the word of God of how we are to treat and meet each other's expectations. And here's what tends to happen. It's called the crazy cycle. What tends to happen in marriage, every marriage that falls apart starts by getting on a crazy cycle. And here's what it is. I'm not getting what I want, so I'm not gonna give you what you want. I'm not getting the emotional uh, fuel that I need for my tank. You're not gonna get yours. 
I'm not going to get the attention that I want. You're not going to get yours. And since I didn't get mine, I'm not going to give you what you want. Does anybody see a problem here? A cycle to where even some days upon days, we can go in circles saying we are not going to fulfill the role that God has called us to do. What do you do? with a couple that's on a crazy cycle? What do you do with somebody that says, I just don't love them anymore because I can't get love from them? What do you do with somebody like that? Listen, there's not an easy answer. All you gotta do is say, look, I don't care if y'all having trouble or not, but somebody's gotta decide through the power, this is important, the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm getting off the crazy train because I don't have a contract with him. I don't have a contract with her. I've got a covenant with God and I don't care how she treats me or how he treats me, I'm gonna do what God told me to do. And what God told me to do was to meet the expectations of my wife, to meet the expectations of my husband. Now, listen, you can sit there if you want to, but if you'll take that advice to your marriage, it'll never fall apart. Because if you could get two people there in the love and the power of the Holy Ghost, loving each other and serving each other, that marriage is going to last till Jesus comes. The answer is the love of God. Talked about Jesus, Paul did in Philippians, being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but he made himself a no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant. Would you stand with me here this morning? Servanthood. Servanthood is how marriages stick together. I can't tell you how many tables that I've sat across of people who were done. I mean, there was no question in my mind. Sometimes you can read it on their face when they walk in the office. They sit down across from you. But every time, the ones that stuck together, Nate, at least that I've been involved with, every time the answer was the same. So you go love them, and you go serve them. I've had husbands tell me, she is hateful. She will have nothing to do with that. To which I said, get off the crazy train and love them and serve them. Not one, not two, many. I've had husbands say, or I'm sorry, wives, and equally say, you know what? He has nothing to do with me. He's no attention. I mean, the, 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 the symptoms are always the same. It's not like if you're sitting here today and say, I've just got a unique marriage problem that, that nobody else has. Listen, that's a lie of Satan because marriage is really all about servanthood. And when marriages go astray, it's because one or both stopped serving each other. And what causes us to serve like Christ is the love of Christ. I know there's people, if you're, again, I gotta be careful here today, but also I wanna tell somebody, longevity is not a marker of a godly marriage. Because there are people that have stuck together for years, but never worked on loving each other. Existed. You learn to coexist. You learn to deal with the business and deal with the kids and deal with that. But you've never allowed God to get into the middle of your marriage. I'm preaching to everybody here today. You need the love of God to get in your marriage. You may have allowed the love of God to get in many other contexts and aspects and places in your life. But I'm preaching to you, you need God's love in your marriage. How does that happen? Well, we know this, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost. I've got Holy Ghost in my kids. I've got Holy Ghost in my home. I've got Holy Ghost in my church. Do you have the Holy Ghost in your marriage? Or is that a place that's off limits for God to work in your life? You see, God's got a word for you concerning your marriage. And that is covenant. That is servanthood. And God wants everybody under the sound of my voice, those that are looking, those that are recovering, those that have been married for a long time, those that just got married this year, God's looking to solidify. In fact, I think today would be a great day if your spouse is here to grab them by the hand and bring them to an altar. If your spouse is not here, you just bring your covenant with you. Come to an altar today. If you're a young person and you haven't even made your choice yet, that's all right. You just bring yourself and your commitment to God to make sure that you made wise choices. Come on. Would you step out of your seat right now? Step out of your seat and come on. Let's bring it to the Lord. He is the answer. I'm preaching to somebody today. I realize maybe not everybody, but there's people in the sound of my voice. Your marriage is in trouble and the only answer is Jesus. It's not going to be a present on Valentine's Day. It's not going to be some of you are looking for that companionship. It's not going to be the avenues you've taken. You've got to turn it over to the Lord. Come on. There is a healing. Brother Bradley said it. I believe he said it by prophecy. There's a healing in this house today. I don't know who you are, but God came to heal your marriage. He came to heal your mind. He came to do a supernatural work in that relationship. And just as holy as he is in saving your soul, he'll be holy and powerful in saving your marriage today. In Jesus' name. Come on, lift up your hands with your spouse, with your wife, yourself, however you find yourself. Come on, lift up your hands. Submit yourself to the Lord. Come on, somebody, somebody maybe come in here and you were thinking about walking out. Maybe you're even making plans on how it was going to happen. Even formulating your mind, you didn't even realize how serious you were. But God is here to stand in front of you and say, your mission is to stay exactly where you are. And to strengthen that. Come on, let's worship the Lord.